0: You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. A context to the book that we're going to examine. Um, So I'm going to ask if you could please make Andrew feel welcome this morning. Honor him. He's an incredible man of God, incredible friend, and and he is going to kick off our eight-week journey this week in style. Look how good you look, man! Fantastic. I'm going to give you this. You have have some fun. Yeah, we're going to have some fun this
1: morning. I hope you're ready. Um, before anything else, I really want to thank our lead pastors, Pastor Nate, Pastor H, and our senior pastors for. Um, our senior pastors, Pastor Keith and Janet, who are are having a well-deserved holiday. I want to thank them for entrusting me this morning with this message Um, and for believing in me. I take it as a privilege. And so, and thank you for being here and wanting to listen. So let's get into this. Um, Look, we believe in the Word of God, and so um, this is going to be a great series to go through a whole book. Do not miss any parts. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be really good. Now, what I'm going to do today, so as Nate said, so it's different to a topical message. So what I'm gonna do today is I'm gonna do two main things. The first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna walk you through some of the background and the history um, that provides the context for this particular book. So we're looking at the letter to the church um, in Philippi, the Philippians. Um The second thing I'm going to do is I'm actually then going to go through the first 14 verses with you, and we're going to pull out as much gold as we can. Um, I'm going to start by reading just a couple of verses, and then I'm going to get into the backgrounds. The first two verses of Philippians look like this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, This is a book, this is a letter. It's the first thing that we can can notice. This is a letter. And before I get into the background, I'm going to share a bit of a story. About six years ago, my nana moved into a nursing home. And she moved into that nursing home um, shortly after her husband died, my grandfather. And they had lived on the south coast in their house for... Oh, decades, probably about four decades, 40 years. And um, whenever we went there, it was a little bit like an old, a bit of an old museum. My sister's here, she might be able to remember. They had bits and pieces of things that I had not commonly seen. Uh, so my grandfather, he was into horses and um, he trained horses and he did the trots. So there was like horse gear and things like that and horse carts. And my, my grandmother was an artist, so there was lots of art stuff around. And and so when they moved, um, they had a house full of a lot of things. You accumulate a lot over 40 years. And so my, my mum and her siblings, her eight siblings, she was one of nine, would have had to have gone through that house and worked out what to throw out, what to give away, what they were going to keep, what Nana was going to take with her into the nursing home. And undoubtedly, when you, do, when you go through a house like this, you're going to find things that you hadn't seen before, maybe some really precious items and amongst those precious keepsakes, you might find some old letters. And as you do, it's a little bit like also when you find an, an old diary, as you do, you want to have a bit of a sticky beak. So you're going to open up this letter and, and you're going to have a, have a read. And, and it might have begun something like this. Dear Avis, that was my grandmother's name, I'm writing this message to you and your family. Now, the first thing that you're going to want to do when you read an old, old letter that you're connected to is you're going to want to know, when was it written, right? Was this Avis as a great-grandmother? Was this Avis as a grandmother a little bit ear- um, earlier? Or earlier still, Avis as a mother? Or earlier still, Avis is married but without children? Or earlier still? So you're going to want to get the context, like the time. When was this written? So you'll go to the top of the letter and look at the date. And then what you're going to do is, and let's just say this letter is this written in 1962. My mum would have been four years old at that stage. And then what you're going to do is you want to know who's writing it because you want to know the perspective behind this message. Like, like how important, this is something that somebody would have kept on to a hold of for a very long period of time. So the message is important. People don't keep all of their letters. They only keep the really important ones. I suppose the comparison today is um, we're in an age where we don't really send letters, but we still write cards. And if you write a card for me, um, look... Please keep writing cards, but the chances are within a week or two it's going to end up in the bin. Unless, of course, you're my wife. In which case, at the top of my cupboard, there is a bag, and in that bag is almost every single letter she's ever written me. So you keep things that are valuable because they mean something to you. And so you're going to want to know who's writing this important message. So you're going to jump to the end of the letter, and at the end of the letter you're going to see the sign-off, the farewell and you're going to see a name. And it might just be um, from Mary or love from Mary. And then you're going to want to know, well, who is Mary? Is she a boss? Is she a family member? Is she a great friend? Is you know, Who is this? And then you're going to want to know a couple of other things. You're going to go through the letter and you're going to look at this message. And you're going to want to know... Um, about the language, because there might be words that you're unfamiliar with, words that have now gone out of fashion, so you're going to want to make sure that you know the, the lingo of the day. They might refer to some events just in passing, because, hey, everybody knew what was happening in the news, but I don't know what's happening in the news in the 1960s, so I'm going to want to familiarise myself with maybe some of, the, some of the events and things like that. And, and as I read through, the thing about this is that a meaningful letter to my grandmother is a meaningful letter to me because I'm part of her family, a letter written to her and her family. I'm her family, am I not? So I'm an indirect recipient, even though I might not have been born at the time that the letter was written. So I'm an indirect recipient. So, but I'm going to have to be careful because some things in the letter might be time-specific. For instance, if it referred to putting the milk bottles out in the morning for the milkman to pick up, does anyone remember that? Yeah, that was, that, those were good times. I used to really love being the person to crack open the aluminium seal. I really, oh, for some reason, I really enjoyed that. If you're young here, you really missed out on something special. Um, so, well, obviously, uh, um, a message, that, that particular instruction is going to be time-specific. There are going to be other things that are people-specific um, or location-specific. My grandmother um, lived a lot of her life and she's still alive, but she's living a lot of her life in the South Coast. So I'm going to need to work out what is the contingent message, what is the message that was for that times, for those people and that location, and what is the coherent message? What's the message that um, transfers to me that I can still hold on to? Now, what I've done right now is I've walked you through a lot of the steps that we use in interpreting ancient letters through the method that we call exegesis. Um, It helps us to understand and interpret ancient letters to understand what is the meaning. What's really interesting is just like a letter to my grandmother addressed to her and her family, a letter to the Philippians addressed to the church at Philippi is also a letter to me because I am the church too So I'm going to have to use those same kind of tools in order to work out what did it mean to them, so then I can work out what it means to us today, and then finally I might be able to make some personal applications. So that's that's them, us, and me. So so that's a four-minute introduction to biblical interpretation. Um, Now... In terms of the background of the book, so we're going to jump straight into some of those background pieces of information that are going to provide us with a foundation upon which um, we can interpret the text. A little bit of housekeeping. We're going to be using the NIV as as a core transla- uh, core translation of the text. We're also going to be working out of a commentary, a key commentary um, written by Gordon Fee. It's the New International Commentary in the New Testament. I think i have got a picture of the book Um so, background to Philippi. Where, where is Philippi first? Philippi is a city that's located in the ancient world in the middle of Macedonia, in ancient Macedonia. Philippi was founded by Philip of Macedon in the fourth century BC. Philip of Macedon created a kingdom that was made famous by his son, who is Alexander the Great. So, Philip of Macedon founds this city. It's in a strategic location. It's at the edge of a plain where there's farming. If you Google Maps this, which I did, you can see that that plain is still used two thousand, two and a half thousand 2,500 years later for farming. And he establishes it as a strategic city. Um, this is an important event because it helps you to understand why it's a significant city. There are two more events that are worth noting um, because they influence the context ...of the Philippian church in the first century. The first event happened in 164 BC. The rising Roman superpower... ...dismantles the Macedonian kingdom. And at that stage, Philippi comes under the jurisdiction... ...and control of the Romans. Now about 120 years later... In 42 BC, a great battle takes place on that, on that plain between two Roman armies. So there's internal division. Cassius and Brutus, these were the two people who stabbed Julius Caesar in the back, literally. They stabbed him in the back. Um, and he died. That's where we, got, we still use that phrase from. Um, and Octavian and Mark Antony are the leaders of the other army. Octavian wins. He later becomes Caesar Augustus. And to commemorate his win, he honours Philippi by turning it into a Roman colony. So it moves from Roman control to a little Rome. He makes it a Roman colony, and he endows all of its population with Roman citizenship. Now, he's an astute politician. He did this for a number of reasons. He secures its allegiance. He also had a lot of veterans which fought for him, which he would have promised citizenship to, and he needed a place for them to live, and Rome was full. So he put them there. So he achieved a couple of ends um, but that helps to explain the very Roman context of the city. So it's really important to note it is a, it is an important city and it's a very Roman city. So those are two really important things. Um, by the mid first century, Luke, the writer the writer of Luke Acts, calls it the leading city of the district of Macedonia. Background to the church. How did a church come to be in Philippi? Now, we know that the church um, comes to be in Philippi because Luke writes a lot about this in Acts 16. Uh, Luke was with Paul when he first goes, went to Philippi. And the story in Acts goes that Luke, Silas, Timothy, and Paul, they go into Philippi. It's the Sabbath. And they go down to the river to pray. There was no Jewish synagogue in the city and so they wanted to pray by the river. When they went there, they found a small group of God-fearing women who were also praying because they're there, because there was no Sabbath. Uh, sorry, there was no um, synagogue. So they end up talking, and eventually those women accept their message and become the first believers in the city of Philippi. There's a prominent lady called Lydia. Uh, she's likely a businesswoman who owns a, a business and is prominent in the city. And she would have had a large villa-style home, which is like a home which would have had several families and slaves and it would have been a commercial operation as well as a home. So this is a large home. She's got a lot of space. She's got wealth. She invites Paul and his team to stay with them for some time. Now, we don't know how long Paul um, stayed with them. Um, We know that this took place in 49 A.D., and we don't know how long, but it was long enough for him to develop a really strong friendship and relationship with this community. He was able to serve and start the church. Um, and then there's an event that happens, you can read about it in Acts, and he, Silas, and Timothy leave, but they leave Luke there to continue to work with the church, and that also would have continued to have served the ongoing relationship. Now, we don't... now. Scholars think, and if you read First and Second Corinthians, Paul would have visited Philippi at least two more times, probably three or four more times between then and the writing of this letter. Um, he uses Philippi as a little bit of a base of operations, he kind of springboards out of this, but he also returns to Philippi if things get bad. Philippi is a bit of a safe place for Paul, it's a place where he gets refreshed and encouraged. Backgrounds background to this letter. So what's the background to this particular letter? All letters have an occasion, a reason for writing them. And the background to this particular letter is the sending and receiving of Epaphroditus. Paul is in jail when he writes this. He makes this clear in the first, um, in the first chapter. And you can read more about Paul's imprisonment and being shipped off to Rome throughout the back end of the book of Acts. Um, So Paul is likely in Rome in jail, and the Philippians, who care about Paul, send Epaphroditus with some money, um, because jails you had to fend for yourself in jail. So they send some money to support him. They send Epaphroditus to give him some support and care. Um, And so Paul receives Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus gets sick. He finally recovers. Paul sends Epaphroditus back home to the church in Philippi. And he gives him this letter. And it would be the case that Epaphroditus would have read this letter aloud to the um, church in Philippi. So that's the occasion. What's the purpose of this letter? The purpose of this letter um, is is probably three things we see in this letter. Firstly, it's to thank them for their gifts. Secondly, um, Paul takes the opportunity to really encourage them because his, his... heard from Epaphroditus that they're facing opposition of some sort. Now, we don't know exactly what the opposition is. It's likely that it's because of the Roman nature of the city. They're facing opposition, and so Paul wants to encourage them in that. Um, little, little tidbit about Rome. Um, in the Roman Empire, it is Caesar who is Lord and Saviour. And you would have to honour Caesar as Lord and Saviour at many events and through rituals, etc. Now, Paul doesn't mince his words in this letter. Jesus is the only Lord and Saviour. There is a higher dominion and kingdom. But you can see how being a Christian in a Roman context would involve constant hostility to some degree or another with the surrounding culture in which you live. And so they're facing some opposition, the other thing is that there's some internal unrest within, within the community. You know, there's, there's some opposition from the outside and it's starting to show some cracks on the inside. I don't know about you, but if, if ever where um, Nicola and I and our families facing a lot of stressors, sometimes it can start to show itself in our relationship, you know, and we can get a bit, you know, bitey or whatever. And um, you, this is what's happening to the church in Philippi. Now, it's nowhere near as bad As what's happening with the Corinthian church in those letters. But Paul, as a friend, is basically starting to see these things happening and he's wanting to encourage them and make sure it doesn't get any worse. So, with all that said, let's have a look at the text. Let let those sit in the back of your mind, those are some major things. Couple of major theological things worth thinking about. Paul is gonna always emphasize Jesus, he's gonna always emphasize the gospel, he's gonna always emphasize moving forward, and he's gonna always emphasize the practical Christian life. These are some major themes that he's gonna talk about. So I'm gonna use Gordon Fee's structure and I'm gonna put it up here. So we're in, in the first 14 verses, um, I'm gonna break it down to the salutation, the prayer of thanksgiving, the prayer of petition. And then the gospel advances in and outside the prison. So, first the salutation. This is what I read at the beginning. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all God's holy people, and if you could bring that up, that would be great. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, firstly, one thing to know about the Greco-Roman world is that letter writing was treated very seriously and there were certain conventions. A salutation like this has three elements, a sender, a receiver, and a greeting. And usually, it's actually more brief and run-of-the-mill. You can see this in 3 John 1. It starts like this, The elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. That's it for his salutation. He moves on. Paul, though, he takes the typical conventions and he he basically makes it work for him. He doesn't just kind of go, I'm just going to go through the run of the mill and then move on. He, He gets straight into his purpose and his encouragement here. Notice something, both in terms of the sender, the receiver, and his greetings, he puts Christ there. Paul changes this from a letter between two parties, that is, Paul and Timothy, and the Philippian church, to a letter with three parties, Paul and Timothy, the Philippian church, and Christ. Because as far as Paul's concerned, you can't understand him without Christ being included. And Paul wants them to know that, hey, I can't write a letter to you without including Christ. And let's make no mistake, the reason why we have such a good friendship is because of Christ in our lives. This This is a letter of... Friendship. I didn't mention this before, but as a particular kind of letter, Paul writes this letter as a letter of friendship. You will note here in that, in that top, you can leave this up for the moment, um, this verse, Paul says that he is a servant of Christ. He doesn't say, I'm an apostle. His usual intro is, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles, or he uses his title or authority. Paul doesn't use that here. He's not writing this letter like the letter to the Galatians or the letter to the Corinthians, which are more polemical and more argumentative and more apologetic. In this particular letter, he is writing as a friend, as a friend who's going to encourage. I'll get those um, two verses up still, please. Um, verse 1 and verse 2. Um, the second thing that's worth noting from this greeting is he says to all to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, to all God's holy people. Um, now, I've mentioned that there's a little bit of internal unrest. There's, there's, there's some cracks starting to form within their community. And Paul is going to continually address them as a whole, as a unity. He's already bringing his point in here, right? He's, he's going to encourage them to stay one, and he's going to talk to them all. He's going to continually say that he's addressing all of them. Um, I think that there's an application here for us. Um, the main, the main point I think out of this salutation for me is if I think about the way that Paul engages with his friends, including Christ, making sure that he's he's. Um, He's seeing them in Christ. He's reminding them of their relationship with Christ. He's, he's letting them know that there is no discourse between us two without realising there's a third party here and you can't, you can't separate that, that Christ is central and also this message of unity. These, these are things that I think of when I think, wow, like, do I do that? Do I do that when I'm communicating to my friends? Do I, do I let my faith, do I wear my faith on my sleeve? Let's go to the next section, starting with verse 3. Following a salutation is usually a thanksgiving or prayer, and it's usually very brief. Going back to 3 John 1, there is a short kind of health wish. So it's usually a thanksgiving or a health wish. Um, Paul doesn't do a one-liner here. Paul takes what is usually a one-line health wish, and he turns it into a nine-verse Thanksgiving prayer and petition, he says. I'm not just going to wish health on you in some tokenistic manner. I hope the universe gives you a hug, sort of a thing. He 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 is going to take the mo take that moment to pr- thank God and to pray to God for them. So Paul radically transforms the conventions of his day and uses it for the sake of the gospel and uses it to serve his ends and needs. A little bit of um. You know, use whatever's in your hand. Don't, don't waste anything. Let them all be used for your calling and for your purpose. Um, there's a lot of lessons here. So he says, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion Until the day of Christ Jesus. Look, there's a couple of things worth noting here. Firstly, prayer, thanksgiving, and joy go together for Paul. Right? Prayer, thanksgiving, and joy go together for Paul. Um, Again, in my relationships with my friends, am I in my own relationship with God being thankful to God for them and my church family? Am I praying for my church family? Am I being joyful? Am I finding joy in that moment? And being like, you know what, I've got a lot to thank God for. Actually, I'm so lucky and blessed to have a church family. And you know what, let's just make no mistake. Paul is in prison when he's doing this. Paul is modelling something fantastic here. His heart, his commitment to them. And he says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Because of your partnership in the gospel. Until the first, from the first day... Until now. Now, what's really interesting is you would expect Paul to thank them for the material gift that he just received. What Paul does is he thanks them for the most important thing about them. That their relationship goes back 13 years that they've walked through thick and thin, that they've been a source of mutual support. They have partnered in their lives together. They have served God together. And Paul basically takes a moment where you would expect him to talk about thanking them for money. And he says, I thank God for our journey doing the long haul together. And it's your partnership in the gospel that is the reason, not just for the gift, but for the last 13 years of support that we've had. He talks about what, what is the most important thing, that there's this sense of partnership, mutuality, that they've done the hard yards together and that their relationship is founded in purpose in the gospel. This is good stuff. And then he says, I'm confident of this. Why? Because he's spent 13 years doing life with them back and forward. He says, I'm confident in this, that God who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ. And this this brings out a really important theological theme for Paul. It's a theological perspective that he uses um, right throughout his his whole entire corpus, that that sense in which we are a people of the future. We are a people who are moving forward. We are the the people that have experienced the future now. We're living the future now, heaven on earth now. And and the future is coming to earth now. And God's bringing the earth into the future. and, And we are the people of forward progress You've got to think about this as Paul is taking this first whole section, and it's like a preview. It's like a, an executive summary. It's summary. It's like these are all the most important bits. He's going to spend the rest of the letter unpacking and unfolding this, right? But but note this idea of of we are now and we are not yet, and moving forward, right? This this has clear allusions to chapter four, where he says pressing on. I'm not finished, I'm pressing on, I'm I'm moving forward, I'm taking hold of all that Christ has for me. This is the it in the prayer point. He's confident that God has started and God is moving them forward, being a people of the future until the day of Christ Jesus. And then the next section. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart... Whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ. When I I see this, a couple of things that are worth noting. Um, When he says feel here, it's not like sentimental emotions. This is like deep character emotions. This is like deep relationship. I feel this way about all of you. It's like this section looks like a digression... But it's actually related to the fact that they've done 13 years together and they're still together. And he's basically, and then he just basically opens up his heart. I mean, there's the emotional language in this would make a grown man blush. I mean, you don't hear men talk about their emotions like this. Sometimes you can think that Paul is like this stoic apostle, able to face everything, like unemotional, just you know, getting on with the with the job. But here Paul is Paul is sharing his feelings. And when he shares his feelings, he's got deep feelings for this community, this community of believers who are his deep friends. Um, He feels this way. He has them in his heart. And no matter what he's going through, no matter what he's going through, he recognizes again, he brings it back to their partnership, their sharing in the gospel, their sharing in the life of faith. Um, And then he ends with this kind of an oath. God is my witness. Um, and and, and he's right for appealing to God, because only God is the witness to the human heart. And he says, God is my witness. This is how much you mean to me. And he says, um, God can testify how I long for you, all with the affection of Christ. This isn't just a relationship built on partnership. It's built on affection and love and care. There is purpose and there is relationship here. And Paul is willing to express and share that. Again, I look at this and I think, wow, wow. This is a bit convicting. Do I do this with my friends? Do I do this in my relationships? There's a lot of good modelling here. And then moving to the next part. This is the prayer of petition. And this is my prayer. So he's got a prayer of thanksgiving and then a prayer of petition. He doesn't just... Tell them he prays for them. He actually tells them what he prays for them. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. Now, it's up here. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That your love may abound more and more. And again, love. This is the word agape. And here we'll be reading this with his Jewish context. This is about the character of God, deep love, deep commitment. Um, and they're going to need it, right? When there is external pressure, they need more love. More love for one another and more love for their community. Yeah? So he says, I am praying that you have more love. That's important. And then he says, increasing love, abundant love you could think of, overflowing love. And that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of in- insight. Knowledge and depth of insight. Now, the word knowledge there um, is understood in the sense of um, innate, full, personal knowledge. And the word insight is actually the only time it's ever used in in." Um, the New Testament. So it's a bit difficult to understand, but there's a lot of parallels here between Colossians 1-9, and it gives Gordon Fee the understanding that what's probably in view here is moral insight, full and innate knowledge and moral insight. seems a bit odd, though. Why would they need moral insight? Well, here it goes from these are the two things I'm praying for you, and then these are two things why I'm praying this for you. So he moves to the purpose. What's the purpose? So that you may be able to discern what is right. So there is an immediate purpose and there is a future purpose. So that you may be able to discern what is right and you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Note this idea of discerning what is right or what counts. Why do you need deep knowledge and moral knowledge? So you can discern what counts. You know what? When you live in a Roman society that bombards you with the value system of empire and the system of this world, you can easily lose sight of what counts and what matters. Paul is praying that they don't lose sight of what counts and what matters. In our day and age, there is another system, another way of life. And it might not be an empire, but make no mistake, our culture is bombarding us with a value system. And it seems to say that what counts is how much money you earn or physical beauty or whether or not you can perform great or whether or not you you get invited to all those parties or how much sensual pleasure you can experience or whatever it might be. There is a value system and it's easy when you're bombarded by that to lose sight of what counts. And Paul wants them to not lose sight of what counts, what truly matters, and he will unpack this. But at its heart, he would say, it involves Christ-like humility and service. Foreshadowing chapter 2. What truly counts? This is good stuff. I don't know about you. This is great stuff. All right, the final section. The band can come up. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served To advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Usually, in a letter of friendship, you would talk about your affairs, you'd give an update, what's going on. Paul gives an update, but again, he doesn't make it about himself. He makes it about the gospel. And in so doing, he is modelling to them. In a hostile world, in a world that's going to have pressures, the gospel is still advancing. And that's going to be his prayer for them, that they still keep moving forward, that they don't let their witness suffer, that they don't let their unity and their, their life in Christ suffer. And he models that this is happening for him too, because he's in the same boat. He's not, he's not preaching something that he doesn't practice. He is in prison in Rome right now. He's also facing Roman opposition. And he's keeping his mind on Christ. His heart set on where he's going. And he's keeping his, his heart focusing on other people too, including them. And he's modelling to them that way. You know, we don't face a Roman Empire. But you know what? There's certainly... A society that is hostile to us, is it not? Did we not just experience that this week with a current affair? And Paul's message would be: don't let your life of faith and the gospel and your love for one another and your love for this society as well. Don't let that get impacted. Keep moving forward. Keep Christ at the center. Keep Christ at the center. And you know what? And the foundation of his message is his affection and partnership. That we need to pull together, that we need to love one another, that we need to build a strong foundation in Christ as we walk in Christ together. There's a lot of good stuff here. And um, it's going to be really exciting over the next eight weeks for you to unpack how Paul takes these major themes and actually goes forward to unpack in more detail. So I want to encourage you. Thank you for having me. And I want to encourage you, some homework, um, to read the book. You can do that this week. Um, It's not too long. And so thank you. Let me pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the centre of our faith, that you are the centre of our community. We thank you for what you've done in our lives. We thank you for the message that you gave Paul to give to his friends, the Philippian church. And we thank you that that message still speaks to us today. We thank you for your word and we pray that you would take that word and that you would change and transform our lives and help us to live out what it means to be your people in this time, in this place, within this community. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
0: Awesome. Quick, we give Andrew a round of applause this morning? Fantastic. We are really blessed to have someone um, of his calibre in our community to be able to unpack the word at a level like that and set us up for the next, what will be another seven weeks journeying through this book and unpacking what is it, what did it mean to them, therefore what does it mean to us and then finally, well then what does it mean for me as a part of that us Um, And so uh, I want to encourage you, as Andrew did, uh, we're going to be letting you know in advance what sections of Scripture we're going to cover on the Sunday. Uh, I'd love for you to read it in advance, Uh, begin letting God speak to you about that. Um, But I want to set a challenge. Uh, I do believe that too often we read small sections of Scripture out of context, I would like to set you a challenge to sit down, whether it's a Saturday, whether you get up early one morning uh, and read the whole of Paul's letter. It is one letter. Read the whole thing. Get everything that he is saying. See the big picture of his letter, how he starts it, how he brings things in the middle, how he brings it back full circle at the end. Uh, Set yourself a challenge to read the whole book of Philippians in one sitting, in one go, uh, and allow God to begin to speak to you as we go on this eight-week journey together. I'm really excited, um, and I want to thank Andrew again for, for kicking us off this morning. He did a great job, absolutely, yeah. If you are here with us this morning and and you would like prayer for anything at all, anything going on in your world, uh, our pastoral team will be here at the front. We would love to pray for you. Uh, We believe in the real power of God to bring transformation in people's lives. Um, But if you are someone and you have never... Uh, begun a relationship with Jesus maybe it's the first time you've really heard about him you've never even kind of opened the Bible and and, and you're just beginning to realise there's a God he loves you I'd love to have a conversation with you about who Jesus is what it means to have a relationship with him so if that's you and you'd like to have that conversation I'll absolutely I'll be down the front I'd love for you to come and say hi um, and, and we can talk about what does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus to believe in him to let him guide your life Uh, That'd be amazing. Thank you so much for coming here this morning, church, for being our family together, celebrating what Christ has done. Have a great week. Enjoy Monday off tomorrow. uh, And we will see you next week here as we continue our our eight-week journey. Thank you very much. See you later. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.